I think this is the only conference I can actually show a picture of my grandfather. How cool is that? <laughs> so he, uh, he fought in World War I the last five months uh, as a machine gun battalion. Uh, was gassed during the uh, last few days of the war and actually uh, received a Purple Heart. So, uh, and that we're going to shift gears in terms of present uh, pr our presentations. Obviously, uh, wood is a very solid object. Uh, incredible uh, presentation about a real practical, in a sense, you know, piece of lumber that you can take for the war effort. And I'm going to talk about prayer. And uh, what I found very interesting is the Billings Rotary Club in Billings. Uh, basically started a, a national war prayer movement and uh, it's very uplifting and very upbeat and then actually as I looked further into the idea of a war prayer movement I found others had war prayer movements. Uh, oddly enough uh, World War One was a battle uh, between Christian nations so not only did the Americans have a war prayer movement so did the Germans so I'm going to talk a little about that too. So, And uh, I have been saying this word wrong for about a year and a half and I just discovered that two days ago, so correct me if no, don't correct me. Uh, <laughs> the War Angelus movement is correct, so, and we'll get right into this. So basically, like all social groups in every community in Montana, they move forward to support the war effort. The Billings Rotary also did. This is a photo of the uh, canteen service that was provided at the Union Depot for all the soldiers coming through town. Uh, basically providing food, sometimes entertainment. They also moved the prostitution district a little further away from the depot at this point because that was really not something they wanted to show of the city of Billings. Uh, so again, one of the major efforts for the Billings Rotary Club was this idea of a war and jealous movement. Um, and basically a, a gentleman by the name, did I say it wrong? Yeah. Angelus, thanks. <laughs> You're just going to have to live with two pronunciations, I'm sorry. So in the spring of 1918, the Billings Rotary Club, what became a national movement, the War Angelus Movement, thank you, uh, led by uh, James Schumacher on the left there, whose two sons were actually already fighting in the war zone. And uh, from their, uh, according to the club's minutes of March 4th, 1918, Schumacher proposed a national plan for daily prayer for the success of the war. So he created a committee of folks, the initial idea for the American Angelus, Angel, now I'm saying it a third way. Angelus, thank you, damn. Was to designate five minutes of each day beginning at 11.55 or 12 noon to meditation and prayer on behalf of the war effort. So reporting the next day in the Billings Gazette, uh, the March 5th, uh, 1918, Schumacher reported, quote-unquote, and this comes into play later in the talk, claims by the Kaiser that the Lord is with the German hosts in the war. And then he's citing an instance where 11 Belgian children were found crucified in a butcher shop, ridicules the Kaiser's claim to prayer. So the, the Mayor Johnston endorsed, also a Rotarian, endorsed the movement and hoped it would be picked up by other groups, including representatives of the local union, the Council of Defense, and the uh, Defense and the Chamber of Commerce. So by March 25th, the Billings Rotary and Billings Chamber had combined their efforts for a plan of five minutes of meditation. So in Billings, we picked up this idea fairly quickly. 
By April of 1918, city bells and town whistles of Billings were ringing each day, and five minutes of prayer and remembrance were, quote-unquote, working quite satisfactorily. A local wholesale grocery store left the phone off the hook as to not transact business during this five minutes of devotion. Even local school children were reminded of the Angelus Hour by their teachers. In early April, the idea was then endorsed by the District Convention of Rotarians in Salt Lake City, and in June of that year, the idea spread and a re resolution of the Billings Rotary Club was sanctioned by the International Association of Rotary Clubs. So the International Association meeting in Kansas City in June 25th took the Billings Rotary proposal and resolution and basically came to a resolution that noted that the cause is right and just and in harmony with the will of the supreme ruler of the universe. The resolution added, prayer is the greatest and most effective agency for vitalizing the spiritual power among the people of the allied nations and making it a virile, dynamic force, fortifying and upbuilding the morale of soldiers and civilians. And the movement was observed at the week-long convention in Kansas City. The convention agreed that, again, upon a one-minute observation to occur at 11 a.m. And bills and bells and whistles would signal the minute of devotion in Kansas at that point. So a little about this movement, because if, who's Catholic here? Because I have questions for you also later, so. So this... Angelus movement basically derives from the Catholic Church. It's a daily devotional that goes back some 700 years. And it's basically a morning prayer, a 6 a.m. and a noon hour and a 6 p.m. prayer every day. So maybe I can ask a question of the Catholics. Is this a devotional that's still done today? I don't think so. Okay. When, I, when I was a, in a Catholic school, we, we stopped every day Okay. Priests are required to do it. Okay, good. So, all right. So, so, and the movement itself is captured in this famous painting by Millet in the 1850s, uh, basically the Angelus right here, uh, showing the devotion. There's some question about this image. At one point, he named it "Prayer for the Potatoes." but apparently uh, renamed it when he put the little church in the background because the church would ring its bell at noon. So he has this couple in 1858 kind of saying their daily devotion. So it stems from the Catholic Church. And you can see why you know it started at noon, according to the Billings Rotary. Now they're moving it at 11 because they want some separation from the Catholic Church itself and its devotions. And this is just an image uh, from the Catholic Church of uh, children praying to Mary during the Angelus. Angelus. Oh, I might. Oh, really? That's true. I'm not really a praying person. Who's ever getting this recording is getting a lot of cussing under my brow hair. <laughs> So uh, this is a, uh, uh, a Billings Gazette article later on talking about this movement and about it arising. And of course, they're using the same Catholic Malay's uh, image, obviously from 1858, to talk about this uh, movement by Schumacher and where it would take, take off, basically, as I said, from Billings to regional to national. 
So throughout the country, stories of its impact were heard. Citizens in Leavenworth, Kansas, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, as well as in New York City and Dallas, heard the chimes, bells, and whistles to signal the minute of prayer each morning at 11 a.m. Washington, D.C. and St. Louis, two of the largest cities to adopt this movement, uh, had large double-headed federal electric sirens to blast that whistled a penetrating screech echoing over all the skyscrapers at 11 a.m. In Washington's example, it's actually back at 12, to reach every nook and corner to halt the rush of business. First called the, the War Angelus Movement, the movement of prayer and meditation would be reconstituted as the daily victory prayer, the day of prayer, or the war prayer, depending kind of on your association with the Catholic Church, I think. So religious organizations had heard about this movement through Rotary, and uh, several articles appear right away that said, wait a minute, we've already been doing this. So there is some debate, actually, how original Billings a proposal was because Trinity Church in New York City was already doing a daily war prayer uh, at this point. But the mayor of New York City received a communication from the New York City Rotary Club suggesting that the movement be observed every day at 11 a.m. for one minute. So as it spread from city to city, it was really primarily the Rotarians that moved it. So that they're the ones who caused the move uh, for it to kind of gain a national foothold. So here's just some articles uh, from Kansas, from Florida, basically talking about taking on this rotary prayer. One newspaper in North Carolina, I don't know why, reported that a tennis match had stopped when they could hear the siren off in the distance. I don't know why that would make the news, but it did. Uh, and here again, more examples obviously from Montana from Kansas and from Pennsylvania about the uh, proclamation about the one minute of prayer throughout the country uh, in support of this movement. Uh, here's some of the uh, announcements in the Capitol. You can see in Washington, D.C. it's at 12, so it's still following more the Catholic arrangement. Uh, basically, uh, there was a, one of the few articles I found where somebody maybe opposed it, and it was one sentence in this article says, this idea is opposed by the secular league. Oh, seculars, you know? <laughs> so, and here's some uh, great photographs showing one of the sirens that they used in Washington, D.C. in 19 to announce the uh, minute of prayer uh, to get people to participate. Now, there's some question here in Washington because the federal government is participating, and that's why I think the Secular League was a little concerned. So the, uh, the siren on top of the Evans building yesterday for the first time called Washington, D.C., to pray for victory. The siren will sound every day at noon. Ceremonies incident to the installment of the big electric horn were witnessed by over 200 people. So a lot of these uh, photographs are from the Library of Congress, too. And then another photo uh, also showing the siren. The siren's a big deal. Everybody's crowd, you know, crowding around it and waiting for the blast and uh, giving their minute. And then other social organizations would also take this on. Uh, other patriotic organizations also called for the need of prayer. This is from the Washington Times. Uh, local citizens committee kind of taking it on. Again, whether they're borrowing from the rotary idea that stems out of Billings isn't clear. And then the National Council of Defense in Louisiana. 
Uh, also, the, in towns where their bells were being rung at noon, the proclamation from the St. Landry Parish Council of Defense in Louisiana, they proclaimed the war in Jalas in which they asked the parishioners to set aside four minutes every day, starting at 6 p.m. So again, they're taking more the Catholic approach to it. And they argue in this proclamation, all patriotic American citizens should each day humbly bow and petition to the Almighty God to have their noble defenders in this special keeping and to bestow wisdom and guide out so leaders that they may finally lead us to the victory and the righteous cause for which we do battle. And this, this is where I'm seeing uh, the switch of the name, too. In the Miami Herald, there's this great quote uh, called a war prayer by some communities to not confuse the prayer with the Catholic. E.M. Heavens in the uh, Miami metropolis summed this up well. He says, does the whistle blow at 11 a.m. for the war prayer or does it not? Surely we can spare one minute a day for prayer for the boys who are fighting and dying for us. If we can't, we don't deserve a victory over the Germans. The, the name, the war angelus, doesn't worry me in the least. I have enough faith in the merciful God to believe that he will not turn a deaf ear to earnest, sincere prayers just because they happen to be called by the wrong name. However, in order to stop the discussion, why not just call it the war prayer and quit fussing about the name? So, so and now it looks like I'm finishing, but I'm finishing the rotary point of view here. So when the war ended on November 11, 1918, the Billings Rotary recognized, hey, 11 in the morning on November 11. Hmm, that's when we proposed that prayer. So W.W. Uh, Gale even says, curiously enough, and with the connection, if any, a matter of individual conviction or conjecture, the precise hour of this devote, uh, devout appeal to the supreme being for inspiration, strength, and guidance, participated in by millions, marked the end of the World War, and brought fulfillment to their prayers for victory and peace. So this is the story I had written before. And but as you look further into this movement, you realize maybe it's not as novel of an idea because I found all of these war prayers from the Spanish-American War. There's a, a Jewish war prayer. Uh, war prayers are read in Pittsburgh, uh, in the Wilkes-Barre, in Pennsylvania. So these war prayer movements obviously were happening in earlier times. Now, does anybody, are you familiar with the war prayer by Mark Twain? Mark Twain, during the Spanish-American War and the Philippine-American insurrection, wrote a war prayer also. And it's a very interesting prayer. I can show you the first half here. He, he did not publish it until after he died. His publisher said it was going to be too controversial and considered almost a sacrilege. So after Twain died in 1910, this Mark Twain war prayer becomes pronounced and announced throughout the United States. And the beginning of the prayer, it has that kind of feverish pitch that you would hear during a war, that it was a great time of excitement and, you know, things are going well. But at the end of this piece that he does, which is only about a page and a half long, uh, a gentleman in a white robe comes out who looks rather religious-like. And he's going to now pray again, but 
basically give us the prayer of what the prayer really means. So they have this kind of upfront prayer, which is very upbeat. And so, and the reason I bring this up is because when we got involved in the war, which of course is 1917, papers earlier, like the Ekalaka Eagle, the El Paso Herald, the Miami News, they all published Mark Twain's war prayer. And it's very, it's very anti-war. And so you never see Mark Twain's war prayer during our involvement during the war. So this is what Twain said. The, the, this person in a robe comes up and says, now, and he's a rather Lord-like figure. And he says, now I will pray what the prayer really means. Lord, our Father, our young patriots, idols of our hearts, go forth into battle. Be thou near them, with them in spirit. We also go forth from the sweet peace of our beloved firesides to smite the foe. O Lord, our God, help us tear their soldiers to bloody shreds with our shells. Help us to cover their smiling fields with the pale forms of their patriot dead. Help us to drown the thunder of the guns with the shrieks of their wounded, writhing in pain. Help us to lay waste their humble homes with a hurricane of fire. Help us to wring the hearts of their offending widows with unavailing grief. And it goes kind of on and on like this. Uh, so as the Americans were initially not going to enter the war in 1814, they're publishing this even in Montana newspapers. But I said, as I said, once we get involved in the war, the Billings Rotary War Prayer is a very different prayer, obviously. Uh, at the end of Twain's prayer, he says, For our sakes who adore thee, O Lord, blast their hopes, blight their lives, protract their bitter pilgrimage, make heavy their steps, water their way with their tears, stain the white snow with the blood of their wounded feet. We ask this in the spirit of love, O dear Lord. <laughs> wow. So after this gentleman speaks, this, this person speaks, it says, Ye have prayed it, and we shall desire it. Speak. And then Twain writes, The messenger of the most, highly, of the most high weights. And then Twain wrote a last sentence, and it was, it was believed after that that the man was a lunatic because there was no sense in what he said. So you can see like why Twain didn't even want to have this while he was alive, this prayer. So like I said, it comes out and you're reading it in Ikalaka, 1914. The other troublesome thing is because you have Christian nation fighting Christian nation, the Germans also had a daily war prayer. So before we had one too. So this is examples of in Italy, of course, and in Germany. Uh, the German war prayer was a daily feature of life. So this is as early as 1914. And then in 1915, uh, the soldiers would carry these prayers, asking for their father to call on thee to protect them during the war. And this was troublesome. I mentioned the Kaiser early on. Uh, you know, basically, they knew that the Kaiser had these daily prayers. So the Americans had to, like, basically combat that by demonizing the Germans at this point, because this is a big deal. So, so here's the American approach of uh, basically uh, supporting the American cause. So this was a postcard that was created by Harper's Weekly. You know, a soldier praying for the privilege of fighting for freedom. We thank thee, O Lord. So, so the two sides are going at each other, and it, I'll bring this up in just a second, because there is a paper that was written in Billings that deals with this from the Billings Liberal Club. 
So here's another example uh, from the uh, United States. The Kaiser is an uncomfortable bedfellow, and wherever he is placed, the other occupants wish to shuffle him out. The article we quoted last week from the Lutheran, uh, uh, U.S. magazine, disowned him as a Lutheran and assigned him to the United Evangelical Church. The problem is there was ha uh, you know, 35 million Lutherans in Germany and 35 million Lutherans in the United States. So how do, you, how do you come to grips with that when you're, you know, who's on the right and things like that? So it is interesting, the, the Lutheran magazine said the church has now disowned the Kaiser as a Lutheran and, and, like I said, assigned him to the United Evangelical Church, which doesn't sound like a good thing for the Evangelical Church. Um, the Kaiser is neither Lutheran or Reformed. H.G. Wells, in his book, The League of Nations, criticized the church at this point also for not fighting for peace and supporting the cause of the League of Nations. He felt like the church was not stepping up. He said, quote unquote, it is incredible that neither the Roman Catholic Church, the English Episcopal Church, nor any nonconformist body has made any effort in an organization to forward this essentially religious end for peace on earth. And that's from Wells in 1918. So this is a very interesting piece. One of the speakers was supposed to present on this, which is the Billings Liberal Club, which is a very closeted club as far as I can tell, because the title of the program they gave in 19 was War and the Failure of Religion. It just doesn't seem like, you know, after hearing Elizabeth's Billings Gazette articles and where the defense counsel was that they would actually want to have that type of title. But this paper was produced in 1918 by uh, Raymond Richards, who oddly enough was a day editor of the Billings Gazette, which I don't think they knew he was writing this at night, you know what I mean? Uh, because of course the Gazette was very supportive in all the activities of the, the, the Council of Defense and things like that. And in this paper, it's very interesting, he said, the one purpose of religion, and especially Christianity, is to promote peace and goodwill among men. And at the present condition, within mil wherein millions of men are engaged in this slaughter of one another, it is proof that Christianity has failed utterly. For this is a peculiarly a war between Christian nations. And he couldn't resolve that issue in his head. Christianity has not achieved the results or brought returns commensurate with the energy and money expended for the church, meaning by this organized Christianity, or nor any particular sect, is a heavily capitalized industry collecting millions of dollars. But there's no other way of testing this but by its results. That's pretty scalding. I didn't see that in the Gazette. I know. So, and then um, he basically finishes as the article because he's not, so he's not saying religion is bad. He's just saying whatever the tenets of religion for peace and love, they're not being somehow supported between these two Christian nations. And he says, um, and when the greatest crime in history was committed at the opening of the war, which was the, what was the attitude of the churches? No protest was made by the Catholic Church, even though its own people were being murdered and abused. That might have imperiled its standing in Catholic Austria and Catholic parts of the German Empire. The Protestant Church in Germany lined up squarely behind the government, supporting it and finding scriptural justification for its barbarities. And in America, we kept a discreet, a discreet silence. Nothing, he says in the end of his paper, which is about 17 pages, 
Nothing else would be as effective in bringing about the universal brotherhood of man, meeting upon a common basis of religion. One's conduct will only be a test of one's religion. He may believe as much or little of Christianity as he pleases. He may deny the Old and the New Testament as he chooses. He may take his hand upon the Bible or the Koran if he wills. He can worship the one God as truly in the one case as the other, and he will stand or fall according to the life he leads. For creeds and faiths, let graceless zealots fight. He can't be wrong whose life is in the right. No longer will one pray for Jew, Turk, infidel, or heretic, that they may be brought home to God's flock. For we shall realize at one point that we are all already in his flock, and that the fences by which we are separated of our, our own erection and not God. So, in my last slide here, I wanted to like, that seems like a downer to me in some ways, you know? So I tried to find a prayer, like I, when I was a kid, I did this prayer every night, not this version, of course. Down to lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord. I saw every morning I did this and I saw this prayer and I thought it was sweet and it got to the point about the prayer that really to me matters, which is this little kid praying for their brother who's fighting overseas. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. God bless my brother gone to war across the sea in France so far. So far. So, and then my last slide is some interesting art that comes out of this war Angelus movement. Angelus, did I say it right? Yes. Did you notice how I avoided it like nine times? Damn it. <laughs> so here's some paintings. This is Paul Clay's 1918 painting. Paul Clay was in the war. Uh, of the uh, angel descending. And then um, Salvador Dali was obsessed with Malay's famous painting of the, uh, the prayer, Angelus Prayer. And so during the 1930s, he did a series of about seven different paintings expressing kind of, and you can see like, if you look at the original painting compared to what Salvador Dali's expressing, he might have been struggling with something else, I also. So anyway, thank you so much.